you just listened to the theme song from Disney's Sweet Life of Zack and Cody that was actually quite popular when I was in elementary school and middle school, and I used to watch that show all of the time. We are dealing with the devices of Satan, Christian. That song is very worldly, but I wanted to use it to bring context. The song goes that you and I have the sweet life most of the time. And Satan wants you to have that same mindset that with him, you can have the sweet life. I'm telling you that being with Satan and walking with him brings the most contempt and the most evil and the most horrid things that you could ever imagine upon your life. It is not the sweet life. Yet, Christian, Satan is using devices to keep our souls from holy duties, to hinder our souls in holy services, and to keep us from performing religious duties. He's keeping us from serving God by giving you the idea that you have the sweet life with him. On this episode, we are dealing with device number six. And this device is something that, oh, I've seen too many times, especially with ones around the age group that I am in. You're listening to the Bearing Precious Seed podcast. It's time for the quote of the episode, and this quote this week has challenged me greater than any quote I've shared with you on the podcast thus far. This quote has challenged me so much this past week, I just had to share it with you. The quote comes from a book that's written by John Maxwell about leadership, but he takes this quote from an unknown source, so I'm not sure exactly who wrote it, but I do want to share it with you nonetheless. The quote goes like this. The best time to plant a tree is 25 years ago. The second best time is today. I challenge you, go back, write those words down, and ask God to use them to get glory in your life. Will you allow these words to change your life as they've started to change mine? The best time to plant a tree is 25 years ago. The second best time is today. Meditate upon those words. You're listening to the BPS Podcast. Mom, I can't be seen getting dropped off in this car. It's embarrassing. What do you want me to do? Stop. Just drop me off right here and I'll walk the rest of the way. Okay. Here you are. You have the lunch I made you? Yeah. But why can't I buy lunch? It's not cool for me having homemade sandwiches. I made the sandwich with love. And why are you having me drop you off so far away? I can't have my friends seeing me in this car. They'll judge me. I don't want them knowing we have a crappy car and a small house and then they'll know we're poor. I'm sorry, honey. I wish I could do more for you. Yeah, whatever. I wish I had parents that had money. So then we can have a big house and a nice car and I'm gonna have to eat these crappy sandwiches. Then I'll be happy. Jaden, right? Yeah. Dude, 
that car was so awesome. But why are you getting dropped off back here? Um, yeah, I don't want people to see me, so I just asked my driver to drop me off here. You have your own driver? That's so cool. If I was getting dropped off in that car, I would want the whole school to see me. I just don't want people to judge me, you know? Judge you? Bro, here I am getting dropped off in an old car, living in a small house, and holding my mom's crappy homemade sandwiches. If my family had money like you, and I would be so happy. I wish I had your life. Actually, I wish I had your life. You're joking, right? What are you talking about? Well, you see, my mom used to make me homemade sandwiches just like your mom, and I would eat them every day for lunch because I knew she made them with love. And my mom would always take me to school too. We would laugh and joke the entire way. But then my mom got really sick. First, she couldn't make me sandwiches anymore. Then she couldn't take me to school. And then she passed away. So don't take what you have for granted because I would do anything to trade lives with you. Wow. I'm so sorry for your loss, man. I guess I just didn't realize how much I'm taking everything for granted. Hey, do you want to share my sandwich? It's homemade. Sure. I'd really like that. Okay. Here we are in the back. Have a good day at school. Actually, Mom, you can drop me off right in the front. Are you sure? I thought you were embarrassed. No, not at all. I'm just grateful to have you dropping me off. Thanks, Mom. And thanks for the sandwich. But from now on, could you make two? Because I think I know someone that would appreciate it just as much as me. Sure, honey. Whatever you want. I remember when I was a kid, my dad drove a taxi for a living. Since we didn't have much money, that was the only car we had. And I remember getting so embarrassed when he dropped me off to school each day, scared my friends would see me in that car. So I'd have him drop me off in the back where no one could see me. I don't see my dad as often as I'd like anymore. And looking back, I realized I had it all wrong. It shouldn't have mattered what car my dad was dropping me off in. All that should have mattered is that he was there with me spending time with me and showing me love. I miss those days so much and feel so bad about how embarrassed I was of him in the car at that time. I wish I could have my dad drop me off right in front and tell him how proud I was of him. So I guess the moral of the story is, don't take what you have for granted. We get so busy thinking about what we don't have that we often forget what's right in front of us. Welcome back to the BPS Podcast. Again, we are dealing with device number six tonight of Satan's devices to keep souls from holy duties, to hinder souls in holy services, and to keep them off from religious performances. Device number six is a ginormous one. It has much to do with the illustration that you just heard. It comes in mind with the young boy who was too embarrassed 
to not have what everyone else had, to be the lower end of the spectrum financially, to be an outcast or an oddball, as we would call it. Device number six that Satan uses to keep you from serving God is big, and here it is. By presenting before you the examples of the greatest part of the world who walk in the ways of their own hearts and that make light and slight of the ways of the Lord. Why, says Satan, do not you see that the great and the rich, the noble and the honorable, the learned and the wise, even the greatest number of men never trouble themselves about with such and such ways? And why should you be singular and odd? You had better do as the most do. And that is how Satan is tripping and tricking many Christians into rejecting and neglecting serving God. Remedy number one against this device of Satan is solemnly to consider of those scriptures which are directly opposed to following the sinful examples of men. As that in Exodus, ye shall not follow a multitude to do evil. The multitude generally are ignorant and know not the way of the Lord. Therefore, they speak evil of that they know not. They are envious and maliciously bent against the service and the way of God, and therefore they cannot speak well of the ways of God. This way is everywhere spoken against in Acts 28.22. So in Numbers 16.21, separate from them and come out from among them. Have no fellowship with the unfruitful works of darkness. Enter not into the way of the wicked. Forsake the foolish and live. Those who walk with the many shall perish with the many. Those who do as the most shall before long suffer with the most. Those who live as the many must die with the many and go to hell with the many. The way to hell is broad and well beaten. The way to be undone forever is to do as the most do. The multitude is the weakest and worst argument. Enter through the narrow gate, for wide is the gate and broad is the road and the path that leads to destruction, and many enter through it. But small is the gate and narrow is the road that leads to life, and only few people find it. You'll find that in Matthew chapter 7. Remedy number one is a big deal. You must realize that we must reject and neglect all the world has to offer in the multitudes. I've learned this. I have learned that when it comes to actions or things that people do, if a majority of the world does it, I may want to be careful if I do it too. For example, when it comes to alcohol, some people have the idea that it's a gray area issue. I don't believe that, but if I did... I would take a look at the world. I believe, and I'm under the understanding, that a majority of the world drinks and consumes alcohol, and some at a very high rate. Every wicked person I know in my life drinks alcohol, and it could probably be same for you. Everyone I know who is evil drinks alcohol. So in my mind, if the entire world loves it, and they endorse it, and they live it, and they love it, I may want to stay away from it. Now, this is not true in every case. 
for the world loves sports. And I love football. I love basketball. I really like these things. I have my teams. I'm a Chicago Bears fan. I'm a Chicago Cubs fan. Blackhawks, Chicago Bulls. And I love my Virginia Tech Hokies. But nonetheless, the overall general rule is that if the world loves it, you better take heed to exactly what they're doing to see if it lines up with Scripture whatsoever. Remedy number two against this device of Satan is seriously consider that if you will sin with the multitude, all the angels in heaven and men on earth cannot keep you from suffering with the multitude. If you will be wicked with them, you must unavoidably be miserable with them. Say to your soul, Christian, O my soul, if you will sin with the multitude, you must be shut out of heaven with the multitude, and you must be cast down to hell with the multitude. Come out in affection, in action, and in habitation, or else the infection of sin will bring upon you the infliction of punishment. I'm going to read that once more. Come out in affection, in action, in habitation, or else the infection of sin will bring upon you the inflection of punishment. So says the wise man, He who walks with the wise shall be wise, but a companion of fools shall be destroyed. Multitudes may help you into sin. Yes, one may draw you into sin, but it is not multitudes who can help you to escape punishments. As you may see in Moses and Aaron, that were provoked to sin by the multitude, but were shut out of the pleasant land and fell by a hand of justice as well as others. Sin and punishment are linked together with chains. Mm. Of sin we may say, so many colors, so many dollars. I got a text from a pastor friend of mine tonight, and I wanted to share this with you. It was a great challenge to me. And I do ask that you'll pray for this gentleman. This is a podcast that is real life. We're not trying to be crazy or, or, or be you know perfect or act like there's a perfect world going on. But I received a text from a pastor friend. It said this, I just went and visited a man from our church who has been mixed up in the world with drugs and alcohol. He has COVID and he is in ICU. He lost his wife and kids. He cannot talk because of a tracheotomy. He is covered in tattoos head to toe. When I walked in, he just began to cry. I've never seen a grown man cry the way he did. His name is Jeff, and I ask that you pray for Jeff. I also got another text from the same pastor that said, I'm praying the Lord is able to use this to get him usable. No drug heads or so-called friends came and visited him. Only his wife, his two girls, and myself came to visit him. And you may sin with the multitudes, but the multitudes cannot get you out of punishment, and they will not be there for you when the Lord's hand comes down or any issues come in your life. Remedy number three against this device of Satan is solemnly to consider the worth and excellency of your immortal soul. Your soul is is a jewel worth more than heaven and earth. The loss of your soul is incomparable, irreparable, and irrecoverable. 
If your soul is lost, all is lost, and you are undone forever. Is it madness and folly in a man to kill himself for company? And is it not greater madness or folly to break the neck of your soul and to damn it for company? Be suspect of that way wherein you see multitudes to walk, the multitude being a stream that you must row hard against, or you will be carried into that gulf out of which angels cannot deliver you. Is it not better to walk in a straight way alone than to wander into crooked ways with company? Surely it is better to go to heaven alone than to hell with company. I might add other things, but these things may suffice for the present. And I am afraid if these arguments do not stir you, other arguments will not work upon you. What wise man would fetch gold out of a fiery crucible, that is, hazard his immortal soul to gain the world by following a multitude in those steps that lead to the chambers of death and darkness? What is it, Christian, if you gain the whole world, but you lose your soul? And I know that is application to salvation, so I just called you a Christian, which means you're saved. But still, a Christian is being tricked to stop serving the Lord by device number six, by presenting to you the examples of the greatest part of the world who walk in the ways of their own hearts, that it make light and slight of the ways of the Lord. I challenge you to look at Psalm 73 of Asaph. Oh, how foolish and ignorant was I, says Asaph. He thought the wicked prospered, but he learned when he went to the sanctuary of God the trueness of their circumstances. I challenge you, serve the Lord well and do not let device number six to hinder you in the holy services to your holy God. You're listening to the BPS Podcast. It's time for your favorite segment of every Bearing Precious Seed podcast episode, and this one is a dandy. On the ark, Noah probably got milk from the cows. What did he get from the ducks? Let's ask it once more. On the ark, Noah probably got milk from the cows, But what did he get from the ducks? Well, Noah got quackers. (laughs) He got quackers. I hope you enjoyed the Christian dad joke of the episode. It's time for this segment of Food for Thought, where at the Bearing Precious Seed podcast, we want to give you food for your thought. This segment of Food for Thought, we're going to deal with the Christian and guns, whether Christians should have guns, whether we should use them, or be carriers of them. Now, this article I'm going to read to you does not reflect the opinion of the Bearing Precious Seed podcast or that of myself. Again, this article does not reflect the opinion of this podcast or myself. But I do want to read it to you so it can give you a viewpoint that you can possibly think about. Because growing up in the South, as myself, guns are everywhere. We love guns. We hold guns. We all have guns at church. So it's something we've never really questioned before. Now it's time to have food for our thought. It's from an article from Sojo.net, written in May 2016. 
I surrendered my life to Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior 42 years ago. I attended an evangelical Bible college and seminary and was ordained as an evangelical minister. I poured myself into evangelism and disciple-making. Today, I am a missionary to top government officials in Washington, D.C., and I chair one of the oldest associations of evangelical clergy in the country. I love my Lord, I love His people, and I love doing God's work. This is why I'm deeply concerned about American evangelicals. I believe the increased presence of firearms among American evangelicals, including pastors, that are now armed in the pulpit and ready to shoot into the congregation if necessary, signals a serious moral crisis in the church. Those who should be all about the good news of God's saving love for humanity are instead being led astray by a popular gun culture that contradicts the teaching and model of Jesus and the apostles. White evangelicals, as a subgroup, have one of the highest rates of gun ownership and are least likely to support any type of gun regulation. We are also overwhelmingly Republican and politically conservative, making us particularly good recruitment prospects for pro-gun organizations and lobby groups. This pro-gun enthusiasm presents us with a temptation to abandon our faith in the one true God and trade it for a neo-pagan, fear-driven, earthbound religion. This theological crisis is why I agreed to become one of the subjects of a documentary film exploring the gun control phenomenon. Having said all this, please don't get me wrong. I am not completely anti-gun. In fact, I see a need for guns to maintain an orderly society, but this is something to be deeply regretted, not celebrated. What concerns me is a form of radical, gun-centered populism that promotes the idea of just about anyone brandishing a firearm in the name of personal self-defense, but without a serious, biblically-oriented discussion of the moral and ethical implications of a Christian using deadly force. The primary problem with evangelicals and guns is not the instrument itself, per se, but the attitudes that attend to its use. Whenever someone intentionally carries a deadly weapon, he or she must be ready to kill. A military-trained firearms instructor explained it to me this way, If you are not ready to kill, you are more dangerous with the weapon than without it, because it will likely be taken from you and used to kill you and others. In carrying a gun for protection, one must also risk killing the wrong person, either because one shoots mistakenly or unjustifiably or because somebody is killed by a stray bullet. Such a disposition toward other human beings seem to, seems to me contradictory to two or three paramount New Testament pictures and principles, love of neighbor, love of enemy, and fear of God only. When Jesus was asked about the greatest commandment, he said there were actually two at the top of the list. Love God and love your neighbor as yourself. The second means we are to place our relationship to our fellow human beings above everything but God. The implications of this are profound, not the least of which is our respect for the sanctity of the other's life. Over the past several decades, evangelicals has formed a deeply and biblically informed pro-life consensus. To be pro-life means that we place the highest value on every human life, not only some. The contemplation 
of taking another human life requires that we dehumanize certain people in our minds and hearts. We must mentally place them into a disposable class. The article keeps going on, and it's actually quite long. And you get the point. It's written by Reverend Rob Schneck, if that's how you say his name. Nonetheless, again, this does not reflect the opinions of this podcast or myself, but it's finally something to think about. We do all of these things, Christian. This is why we started Food for Thought, because we do so many things without ever thinking about them. Why is it okay for a pastor to carry behind the pulpit? Why is it okay to trust and rely on guns? And to be honest, he's right that Christians, especially in the South, are the biggest gun lovers I've ever met in my entire life. More than the world, Christians love their guns. Now, I'm not, I'm not forming an opinion here. I'm not giving you my opinion. I do want you to form your own. And this is why we here at the Bearing Precious Seed Podcast want you to think, should Christians have guns? And as you think upon that, don't let your heart and your emotions make your opinions. Let the Word of God and let intellect and your brains control you rather than your emotions. Ask the Lord to guide you in your decision-making and that He would be pleased and honored with whatever decision you make. You're listening to the BPS Podcast. Thank you for taking the time to listen to this episode of the Bearing Precious Seed Podcast. And as always, we challenge you to work for the night is coming.